1: Hello, and welcome to the Christian Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Franklin Rausch of Lander University. And I just finished having a fascinating interview with Jean Luen Yang, the uh, graphic artist who created Boxers and Saints. Now, usually um, for new books in Christian Studies, we look at a book that you could say is academic, usually, it's, it's published by a university press. Uh, this is a little different, it's a graphic novel. And I wanted to include this book for several reasons. One is that uh, first of all it's um, it 's grounded in a lot of excellent history right um, as, as a work of fiction, of course, uh, uh, Mr. Young does take some um, does make a few uh, changes for dramatic sake, but for the most part he's doing a really wonderful job of presenting. Um, the boxer rebellion from both the perspectives of the boxers and from the Christians, particularly the Catholics who uh, found themselves in opposition. And he does uh, through his artwork and through his story, he does a really um, good job of showing these different perspectives in a moving, powerful and poignant way. And as such, I think it does really, he's doing really a great service in helping us to kind of understand this very, very different time period. And in particular, one reason I wanted to include it is that, it pedagogically, I think it's really well suited for students. So a lot of people, especially if you're a professor, you're an academic or a, a high school teacher or even a middle school teacher who's listening to this, this is something you can really use effectively in the classroom, I think. Um, your students will read it because it's it's really good. It's not pretty, partic- and it, it's a pretty. I mean, it looks really nice. Um, and it really tells an effective story. And uh, Mr. Young and I talk about this story, and he gives us some of the insights he had uh, that, that led him to make it. So uh, I hope you will, will listen to uh, this podcast uh, and enjoy it, and that you'll go out and uh, purchase Boxers and Saints so you can get the full story. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies. I'm Dr. Franklin Rausch of Lander University, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Mr. Gene Yong about his new book, Boxers and Saints. Uh, Gene, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Now, one thing I want to mention to our listeners very briefly is that this is a little, interview is a little bit different than what we usually do. A lot of times we look at so-called scholarly books, academic books. And today we're looking at a graphic novel um, called Boxers and Saints, which is about the Boxer Rebellion. And um, I think it falls within our purview of Christian studies. And what I like so much about this book is that it is a... um, very well-researched historical exploration of the time period from multiple perspectives. So um, I think it's, it's really a great thing. and It's something I actually try and bring into my classes. I like using graphic novels in my class, and I actually use this graphic novel in my honors class. And uh, so I'm really honored to have Gene um, here with us. So I wonder, Gene, if you could start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. So sure. well, first, thank you for, for using my, my books in your classroom an honor. Uh you know, I have taught high school uh, for a while now. Uh, I just I know how pressed for time all our teachers are and for you to make time for, for my folks. I, I, I appreciate that. My my name's Jean, Jean Yang as you said and, uh, and, uh, and and actually the way you pronounce it is closer to the way it's supposed to be pronounced in uh, in Chinese. Oh okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but I usually say Yang just pronounce the that's American version, right, and as the people, as most people say, uh, but I, I, I uh, I'm a Chinese American, I was born in the uh Area, I spent pretty much all of my life in the Tennessee Area. And the way I came to Boxers and Saints was, I grew up in a Chinese American Catholic community. When I was a kid, you know, I always thought of Chinese culture and, and faith. They're going hand to hand Whenever people were talking about God or, or Jesus around me, they were usually doing it in Chinese. And the church that I attended um, wasn't just about... I, I think this is true for a lot of ethnic churches in America. It wasn't just about uh, teaching the faith, right? It was also about preserving um, some, some of the, the home culture, at least. So uh, we, would, we would have Masses and Sunday school just like any other... Catholic Church, but then we would also do these very Chinese things. We'd celebrate Chinese New Year. Um, there's a uh, there's a Catholic uh, uh, holiday called, uh, or Holy Day, a Catholic Holy Day called All Souls Day, and the way we celebrated All Souls Day was very, very similar to how Chinese have historically honored um, their dead for centuries and centuries and centuries, even before Chinese culture came into contact with Christianity. So when I was a kid, Chinese culture um, faith, you know, the Western faith seemed like they went hand in hand. As I got older, I began to realize that there actually is a tension there, that there's a tension between, um, the way, like, Eastern and Western, traditional Eastern and Western views of the world. Uh, and as I got older and, and learned more about history as I got in college, I began to feel that tension more and more, especially within my own life. In, in 2000, in May of 2000, um, Pope John Paul II, canonized uh, a group of Chinese Catholic saints, and this was the very first time that the Catholic Church has ever, ever done this. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of a big deal. My, my whole church slipped out about it. Uh, they had all sorts of celebrations. They, they made posters of, of the saints. Um, they, they had special masses and awesome food and, you know, everything. And everything. So uh, All these celebrations encouraged me. They, they inspired me to look into the lives of these Chinese saints, and what I discovered was that many of them had been murdered during the Boxer Rebellion, during this war that was fought on Chinese soil in the year 1900. So up until this point, I vaguely remembered what the Boxer Rebellion was from my high school history class, and I think that's true of most history classes in America. You know, the, the, the Boxer Rebellion didn't mention it at all it's maybe a paragraph in the textbook, but after I looked into it, you know, after I looked into this war, what I found was, was really fascinating and, um, you know, it was fascinating on a, on a number of different levels. First, uh, a lot of people consider the, the Box Rebellion um, the very first media war, meaning that it was the very first war, it was the very first conflict that people all over the globe were following on a daily basis through their newspapers. Uh, second, it's, it's people consider it a, a precursor to the two world wars because the Bosnian volume was really the first conflict um, that was truly global that involved both Eastern and Western countries. Um, so, so people, it, you know, it begins right at the beginning of the 1900s in the year 1900, and it kind of is a, a precursor, almost like a foreshadowing of everything else, all the all the other terrible things that happened. In the century that follows. But for me personally, the reason why I latched onto it was that I saw within this conflict a mirroring of that conflict that i would felt in my own life, you know, that, that conflict between Eastern and Western ways of, of thinking. The two sides of the Boxer Rebellion, on one side it was the European soldiers, European missionaries, the Japanese, and the Chinese Christians. And on the other side it was this uh rag tag army of these poor teenagers, most of them were men. Um there they were, you know, um boys from fourteen to maybe men in their early twenties. And these men were supposed to be farmers. They they grew up in farming communities in China. But it, it, all of the crops had died. China had had just gone through a series of devastating crops. So their, their outlook on life was really bleak. They had really short life expectancies they were mostly uneducated, mostly illiterate. Uh, and they're really angry too, they were really angry that the Europeans had come into China and established uh, multiple communities within China. Uh, so so to empower themselves, these, these young men uh, came up with this mystical ritual that involved bowing a certain way and involved controlling their breathing. And they believed that when they performed this mystical ritual correctly, um, they would be able to call the traditional Chinese gods down to the sky, and these gods would possess their bodies and give them superpowers. And like armed with these superpowers, they went and they fought the, the foreigners. They they made it all the way. You know that the rebellion lasted maybe a year, year and a half. They they made it all the way up to the capital city of China, where there was a final showdown in the summer of 1900. And um, after several weeks they were put down they, they were put down by some reinforcements that the British brought in from uh, from India
1: right right no that's excellent uh, well thank you so first of all for sharing you know your personal connection with this story and then um, I thought that was a great encapsulation of the um, the uh, Boxer Re- Rebellion um, I never thought about it as being connected to World War I in that way that was certainly interesting Um. I
0: just it came up in a couple of books that I read about the Boxer Rebellion That it was kind of foreshadowed you know, it kind of it kind of foreshadows all these different things that happened in the century that followed.
1: So then how does your, your um, the and one thing for our um, our listeners, this graphic novel is in two parts. There's two volumes, uh, one is boxers and one is saints, hence Boxers and Saints. So you've given us the background. Um, how do you then enter into this, this conflict with your graphic novel?
0: Well, I, I started, um, you know, so, so on, on the research side, I, I started reading about it because I couldn't, I couldn't uh, you know, I, I just didn't know very much about it. So I started reading about it. Uh, I started researching, you know, for about a year and a half, I would go to my local university uh, library uh uh Once a week at least, I've spent several hours there reading as much as I could about to Turn of the Century China, about the box rebellion itself. Uh, and all the way through, I was looking for a protagonist. I was looking for a hero for the story. I couldn't find that hero because I would read one thing and I'd feel really sympathetic with the boxers, and then read something else and I'd feel really sympathetic with their uh, Chinese Christian enemy. You know, and I just went back and forth and back and forth, and finally, the two-book structure was an expression of this ambivalence that I had, but I couldn't find this hero. Um, for, uh, on the, uh, you know, the, the two books, um, I wanted them to look really different from each other. I wanted them to look and feel really different from each other. Historically, the, the boxers went on this long, epic journey, you know, uh, and, um, in a lot of ways, their story lends itself a little bit better to comics, to graphic novels, to the graphic novel format, because there's lots of action, um, there's a lot of movement. And then the, the Chinese Christians on the other side, their story is much quieter. You know, it's... Um, where, where the boxers went on the long journey, the Chinese Christians mostly stayed in their own villages and just tried to stay alive. They did a lot of praying, uh, a lot of their was internal. You know, a lot of their struggle was internal. So just just from the source material, these two books just would have to be very very different from each other. Uh, and, and in the end, what I like to do when I write is I like to have a motivating question for each book. So for Boxers, that motivating question was, "What does it mean to be a hero?" Um, and, and because that was that was sort of the the thing that tied everything together, I wanted to pull visually from. Heroic storytelling traditions from things like American superhero comics, or or Chinese opera, or Chinese war epics, and in each of those media, um, there's a lot of color, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of violence and action. Uh, And and for for Chinese, I don't know if you've ever seen a Chinese war epic. Have you ever seen one, like like a movie?
1: Oh yes, yes. My favorite is
0: it's called. So you have okay, great. My favorite is this one called uh, The Emperor and the Assassin.
1: Okay,
0: I've heard of it. and, um, Yeah, it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, but um, but Chinese Olympics are always super long, full of color and blood, and really, really sad of you. So that's what I wanted the boxers to be Like, super long, full of color and blood, really, really sad of on, you. On the other side, um, for, for saints, you know, I, I thought that the motivating question ought to be, what does it mean to be a saint? So uh, I, I thought about this for a while, and I realized that no matter... What religious tradition you come from? Sainthood, like holiness, is always tied with this idea of humility, uh, and on both the East and the West, right? But, uh, any any world religious tradition, there will be this link between humility and holiness. So I wanted the second book to just feel much more humble than the first. In every way possible, that's why it's shorter, that's why the color palette is much more limited. I had even argued with my publisher to put it on cheaper paper. I wanted the outside to feel like cardboard and the inside to feel like newsprint. They were not into that idea at all. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't end up up doing it. And I think, um, I I think in the end it was was a better decision not to do it because the book would have fallen apart a lot easier. But, um, and, and then the scope of the story too is, is much more limited. You know the the boxer in boxers the characters go all over the place, and the saints mostly action takes place in, in these two different villages.
1: Right. Well, that's one thing. My I, I re, I'm colorblind, so I didn't pick this up. But my students picked up very well this difference you're describing here about how saints, or I'm sorry, boxers is so colorful, whereas saints is a little it's a little more gray in areas, uh, a little more monochrome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, for, for Saints for the color, I um, you know I didn't do any of the color. I I worked with this amazingly talented cartoonist named Pian. She's a, a good friend of mine, and she also uh, writes and draws her own comics. But because she's such a good friend, she agreed to she uh, she agreed to color a few of my comics. She did American War Chinese for me, and she did Monsters and Saints. So we worked together on a palette, and she was the one that chose the colors. But what, what we what we looked at for Saints. Was um, we we looked to sources that I felt like were more humble, you know, uh, than the superhero comics. American independent comics. We looked at a lot of American independent comics, and a lot of American independent comics will use this very limited color palette, so that when you're reading them, it's almost it gives you the feel of like reading somebody's diary. They they use this very um, they use very limited palettes as a way of building intimacy between the book
1: and its reader. Right. right. Well, that's very interesting about then how this all kind of came together. And so kind of, if I can go back, you had this question for boxers. What does it mean to be a hero? And the difficulty in finding a hero, but you did come up with a protagonist, right? Little Bao. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little more about him.
0: Sure. So both of the protagonists are fictional characters. Um, I do have, have some historical figures in each volume. But but the main characters are fictional. The Box Rebellion um, began among the poor of China, and and just like so much of the history of the poor, it, it just wasn't very well documented. Uh, you know, nobody really knows for sure how the Boxer Rebellion began because nobody was writing about them until they got into the major cities of China and came into contact with the Chinese who were in power and, and the Europeans. Um, I read this book called Origins of the Boxer Uprising, which gave gave several theories of how the Boxer Rebellion might have began, talked about the Boxer Rebellion's link with all these different spiritual groups that were kind of roaming the the Chinese countryside at the time. Uh, And I took uh, bits and pieces from all those theories and I used it to construct uh, a fictional life uh, timeline, you know, for, for Little Bout, for, for a fictional character. So Little about life kind of pulls
1: from a lot of those series that
0: I read in that book.
1: But no. Is, uh, oh, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, as I read your, the the, the um, was reading the, your graphic novel the first time, I said, this sounds a lot like um, History in Three C- Keys and The Origins, and I look back to your bibliography and sure enough... <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that book, too. I, I think, um, I think that, you know, from that book, I, I learned that it, 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 that book was all about perspective, right, about historical perspective, and how different, just taking on, putting on a different set of lenses will make history look very, very different.
1: Right. So, um, and that was, I'm sorry, one thing that I, I did want to mention to our readers, because you, you talked about, or our listeners, you had mentioned earlier about the artwork, was it's really difficult as a historian to describe um, what the boxers believed and the kind of um, folk religion and this idea of spirit possession and the importance of operas and this connection between the divine and operas in China. And one thing I loved about, especially the the volume on boxers, was you captured that so well um, in how you start with Little Bao. And then can you tell us, um, how does he come into contact then with, with Chinese opera and with the divine?
0: Well, this is this is something that I read about. Was that you know the the, the boxers had that belief that they could call down these these traditional gods uh, from from the heavens and the gods would possess them. Uh, as a lifelong comic book geek, you know, I started reading comics when I was in fifth grade. What I immediately thought of was Shazam. It really felt like ancient Chinese Shazam. You know, these 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 boys become heroes. Uh, and and what I read in the research was that the way they learned. About, because they were mostly illiterate, the way they learned these stories in the first place was through Chinese opera. Back then, they didn't have television, they didn't have movies, uh, they didn't have comic books. What they had were these springtime fairs. Every spring, every couple of weeks, they, they would have, uh, you know, local villages would gather together to have some kind of a fair. And um, they would have these traveling entertainers go from fair to fair performing. So of all of these entertainers, the most popular ones were the actors who would perform bits and pieces of Chinese opera. It would take, you know, China has a long history of opera, a long tradition. And, and the, you know, it's, it's it's very well developed with a very specific style of music, with a very specific style of dress. And these acting groups wouldn't perform entire operas, they would just perform like the most exciting pieces. It was almost like, it was almost like YouTube, you know, right. just get the, just get the best parts. So that's how that's how these young men learn about their heroes, uh, and, and as a black comic book I mean it's how parallel between that and and, and like and like my people, you know, and, and a modern day comic book reader. So these young men they watch their heroes up on the stage, and they want to become their heroes. Just like just like we do, like when we you know uh, today when we watch our heroes on the screen, a lot of us have that impulse that we want to become our heroes. So what do we do? We we make fancy costumes, we walk around comic book, book inventions, cosplaying. But for them, you know, it was, it was a much more intense thing. They they um, they saw on the stage who they wanted to be. They saw on the stage models of power, and they wanted to embody those models of power. Uh, and, and and their uh, and I think it was very understandable too why why they felt that that need to empower themselves right so uh so in the in the book um you know what I wanted to do with the boxers was to show visually how the uh, how these young men modeled themselves uh, how these young men saw themselves uh, so I actually show visual uh, transformations when when the when young men perform rituals, they actually their bodies actually turn
1: into the bodies of God. Yeah, and I, I thought that was so effective. Um, and I'm just thinking about this pedagogically because I'm getting ready to teach History of Modern China. in um, I'll start on Monday. And I, I think I want to get a still for, of that to put on the, the, the um, screen to explain to students, this is how these people saw this, and this is how they understood things. I thought that was just, um, that's one reason I like graphic novels, and especially yours, because it really... Shows that historical lesson very very clearly. Well, thank you, thank you. Oh, Welcome. Now, so you had you said you had this broader question: how what does it mean to be a hero? And you have brought up this issue of em, how we want to emulate heroes, right? How does Little Bow try and do that?
0: Well, Little Bow, um, you know, all, all the way through, he's the youngest brother. Uh, he, he isn't taken very seriously uh, when, when he's when he's a kid, and, and all the way through. What he really wants is he wants to be included by his older brother. He wants to be respected by his older brother. Right. Uh, and, and finally he gets a, a chance to do that. He ends up training with this, uh, mystical, he's almost like a mystical martial arts master named, uh, Master Big Belly, <laughs> who is actually based on somebody I read about in, in one of my books. He's actually a semi, he's actually a semi historical figure. Okay. Uh, but after training with, uh, with Master Big Belly, um, now, finally, finally figures something out. He finally figures out how to call the Chinese gods now from the skies. He finally figures out a way to empower himself. You know, and, um, and and the god who haunts him is actually the first emperor of China. Uh, I, um, I I I thought I thought it would be appropriate. You know, part of what the boxer Building was about at that time. People were predicting, people all over the world were predicting that China was no longer going to be able to remain a unified nation, that China was going to end up breaking up into pieces. And that was the part why the Japanese and the Europeans had established, um, you know, these different communities there. It was because they were waiting for China to fall apart, and they each wanted a piece when it happened. Uh, I, I just thought that it, it, it would be appropriate to bring in the First Emperor of China into a story about the possibility of China falling apart because the first emperor in China was the one that put China together. Before him, China was actually these seven separate kingdoms. And he, he kind of conquered them all and, and made, made them into a nation that lasted for, for centuries and centuries. But, um, but, but in, in my story, at least, uh, the first emperor kind of represents uh, a temptation to a certain model of heroism um, that discounts the, um, the place of compassion uh, and, and uh, like like is that, that sort of presents heroism without any soft edges.
1: Right. And that leads to kind of a conflict then with, within Little Bao, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does, that does lead to a conflict within Little Bao. That, that's sort of the central conflict that he, he struggles with is, is what does it mean um, to, to fight for his own culture? Right. What does it mean to, to defend this culture? And, and where where does the culture end and the people
1: begin? Right, because that was one thing that really struck me, and I don't know if this was intentional, and this may be me reading things into it, but when I teach world history, I always talk about with um, Emperor Shi Huangdi, you've got this, um, he's a legalist, and he hates the Confucians, and uh, he buries yeah. them <laughs> and burns their books. And it almost seemed to me, I don't know if this was intentional, but there was a conflict between... Little Bao's Confucian Code that said things like, don't lust after women, don't steal, protect the people, and then, um, of course, respect your father, who he he abandons, right? Uh, versus yeah, yeah. this kind of legalist code of Shi Huang Di. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: That was, that was
1: all... Uh, that, that was all... Yeah, that's great. That's great that you... You, you read that. That's awesome. Okay, nice. Well, and yeah, that to me... <laughs> To me, that's... Um, so, Little Bow. He, um, he figures out he's... or he learns how to be possessed and learns how to have this power. What, what doesn't he do with it um, under the guidance of Chi uh, of, uh, uh, Huang Di? Well,
0: he ends up, he ends up starting the, the Box Rebellion. So, it, it, you know, in history, the Box Rebellion was, was sort of a... It, it wasn't... The, the leadership of the Box Rebellion wasn't very centralized. It was actually a loose collection of all these different groups of, of young men. And I allude to that, right? When Little Bow gets into the capital city with his of, group of boxers, he realizes that there are all these other groups there. But what I had, the role I had him play in the book, was she was the one that has got the whole thing rolling, uh, it, uh, you know, when, 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 after he gets possessed by the first emperor, that's, that's what he does. He, he goes and gets the whole ball
1: Right, right. And how does he, well, how, what's his relationship with the Christians?
0: Christians as conspiracy in that uh, there they, The, the Boxers had a lot of these beliefs about um, male and female energy, about yin and yang, and they saw that there, there were a bunch of rumors about, about these, like, bizarre practices that the Christians were supposed to do behind closed doors, uh, and, and a lot of it had to do with manipulating uh, female energy right and and, uh, and, and they use, they use those rumors as a way of um, maybe justifying some of the things that some of the ways in which they they treated the chinese christians
1: right, right well and it's it's interesting that you should mention that because um that maybe is a good segue to introduce these people the red lanterns
0: yeah the red Lanterns the red lanterns are a historical group that, that, that was something that I, I read about too is, is um you know most of the boxers were were young men, but there was a small group of young women uh who fought alongside the boxers and they were they were uh called the Red banterss and historically there were all sorts of rumors about the red banterss there was almost like um, i mean I, I i think I think in a lot of cultures in a lot of cultures the woman is considered the other right and that was certainly true within boxer culture that the female um the female, the female body was very much considered the other. And in a lot of ways, it was um, both a, an object of desire and an object of fear. And there were all sorts of rumors about how the Red Mantras had special powers. Like, they could fly and they could be fire, and, and they were, like, the strongest of, of all of the boxers. So I brought some of that into my narrative as well.
1: Right. No, that, I thought that was really interesting Um there, and that fits in um, with this, uh, your other, uh, one of the other main protagonists is this woman, uh, Mae Wynn. Uh, uh-huh. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about her and her relationship with Little Bao. Well,
0: Mae sort of, um, yeah, she, she, she's kind of a love interest for Little Bao, and she, um, she you know, because she's a female character, uh, I, I wanted to um, explore that dynamic. You know that Yin Yang dynamic uh, with with her character, and and in the end, um, she ends up getting connected with Wang Ying, the goddess of mercy. Uh, I, I wanted a, uh, an identification between Wang Ying and uh, and, and Mei Wen. I, I think um, you know. I think I think you can you can you can look at culture and tradition as, as a collection of stories in um, especially for for old cultures and, and old religions, there's just a lot of stories. You know, there's a lot of stories that make up that culture or that make up that religion. And often, uh, often I think if you, if you don't look at the collection as a whole, if you only focus on a part of it, you end up, it, it just ends up being an incomplete understanding of the human experience. Uh, so that was, that was sort of the thought behind um, Mei Wen. Mei Wen, by the end of the book, represents a more complete understanding of uh, Chinese culture, because she understands both the justice side and the mercy side, you know? She, she, <laughs> she's been immersed in, in, in multiple stories from her own culture, uh, whereas uh, Liu Bao is, is just focused more on one side.
1: So in that sense, is she the answer to the question, what does it mean to be a hero? Yeah, I think she's part of it. She's part of it. You know, um,
0: one of the, uh, yeah, she's, she's definitely part of it. And, and the other part of what you talked about is the Confucian understanding of, of um, a, a person's place on Earth and a person's place in life. So I, I really did have a little bow turn his back on that. I I, it, it, I think I think um, you know the first emperor kind of China is very controversial figure, right? Different people think very different things about him. My reading of him is that um, you know he he was in a lot of ways this really like he, he, was, just, he was just he was a he was a historical figure in the truest sense of that term. He was he really made history, you know, and he accomplished things that are almost superhuman. But at the same time, his understanding of, of what it means to be human it, it just feels incomplete, you know? Uh, and, and I think in a lot of ways, the boxers mirrored that incompleteness. The historical boxers mirrored that incompleteness. Uh, and, and, and I think you can trace it to uh, maybe an incomplete set of stories. The fact that he excised all that confusion it was from his own culture, so feel feels like there's this big piece of what it's human that you are ignoring or that, you know, that you're actively trying to rid yourself
1: of. Right. Right. No, he definitely, and and I always feel bad. I mean, his own mom tried to kill him. I always feel bad for him. Uh,
0: Yeah. 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 He he did live a a rough life, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that, one thing I found particularly, one of my favorite parts, and I think very well done parts in this is on page 312 of Boxer's, um, where you have um, Little Bao where he, he's, he's in his possessed form. He looks like uh, the opera god representation of the Qin emperor. And then he talks about how he um, had done something. I don't want to ruin it for the, our readers, but he had done something Mei Wen told him not to do. And um, she sa- he says, I did it for China. And then she gives her definition of China, which is what is China but a people and their stories. And I thought that was really... Um, Interesting way of describing Chinese identity. That right.
0: I mean, that's that's, uh, that's sort of that's sort of what I talked about earlier. Where, like, where, where does the culture end and the people begin? You know, it, it seems like sometimes you try to separate this idea of culture from the people who embody it. And I don't know if you can, I don't know if it's good to do that.
1: Right. One well, one thing that just kind of struck me about it, and this goes in because your ta- your identity is a, a Chinese American, is that this is a Chinese identity that can work even when you're living outside of the um, territory that the um, that uh, Chinese government exercises authority over.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, you know within my own life, that's that's always been something that I've. Uh, I've struggled with is how, like, what does it mean to be a a Chinese-American? You know, what is it? Like, I visited China for the very first time as an adult, maybe 10 or or 15 years ago. And on that visit, um, things just felt like they still, it it felt familiar yet unfamiliar. It felt like something that, like, like it it felt like something that I should be at home in but I wasn't quite at home, and, you know, uh, right. the, the, the whole trip felt like that. And, and I think on that trip I realized that I really I don't I don't think I'm Chinese. I think I, I think Chinese American is like this other thing. It really is a combination of of East and West. Uh, and, um, and and I think that so that yeah, we'll that or um, that that feeling of discomfort that shows up in a lot of my, my stories.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I've been meaning, I haven't had the chance yet. I really want to read the American born Chinese. Um so I imagine you deal deal more with that there. But I, I thought it was interesting. That's something I brought up when I taught the class. Um I was I was hoping that they would see. So um let's see. Could you tell me a little bit more um, about then? And I'm trying to. This is always this is a little different from our other viewers because I don't want to give too many spoilers to our audience. Because um, uh, can you maybe tell me a little bit about this guy, Father Bay?
0: Yeah, Father Bay. I, I, so here, here was my intention with with Father Bay was that I wanted him to come off as a complete jerk <laughs> a monster, and then become more sympathetic and and uh, and saints. Father Bay, uh, in boxers at least, I wanted him to embody a, a lot of the the negative action uh, and the and the negative mindsets that that um, I was reading about as I was reading the, the, about the boxer. You know, um, a, a lot of missionaries back then, and what I read was especially missionaries from certain Catholic orders, were just really harsh in the way they they dealt with the Chinese. Like, they would walk into Chinese villages, and without establishing any any relationships, they would just go in and start smashing idols, which seems like, you know, at least from a modern perspective, it just seems like such a disrespectful thing to do uh, to to another culture. Uh, And and because of these sorts of behaviors, uh, a lot of animosity developed within the Chinese against the Europeans. So I wanted I wanted Father to be able embody a lot of that, uh, at least in the first book. In the second book, I was hoping to show uh, a different side. Him. I wanted to show that, you know, um, his uh, ultimately the the thing that he got wrong was that he idealized the Chinese a little bit too much. It wasn't like it wasn't like he looked down on them. It was like he over ennobled them. You know, like he thought of them as ideal people, and as he got closer to them and saw the same sins that he found in his own home culture, he just felt really disenchanted. And, and, and this is something that I read about too, you know, in, in reading about Christian missionaries a lot. So, so there, there, was a, there was a period of time when Christian missionaries went out, and they, um, they went out because they thought of other cultures as deficient, uh, and, and maybe other people as a little bit below them. Right? so they were going to go and they're going to try to bring them up and then uh, and then almost as like a reaction to that I think uh, another set of Christian missionaries went out and 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 they over idealized the people that they were they were trying to establish relationships with so in both of those cases you know even though they seem like they're diametrically opposed the the root of it is the same the root of it is that they see this other culture as something other than human. Either more than human or less. And, and, and both of those cases are... I mean, both of those things are just incorrect.
1: Right. Yeah. No. I, and I really... I, mission accomplished in terms of making him look like a jerk and then making him more sympathetic. I mean, it really um, came through. And, and I really like... Um, one thing for our readers that, that Gene does, I think, very well... Or listeners, I'm sorry, uh, that Gene does, I think, really well is there's lots of neat little details. So, for example, Father Bay in Boxer's doesn't speak Chinese very well, and this is reflected in his his dialogue. Uh, so he doesn't speak grammatically at first, and then later on it gets better, and then he understands what's going on more.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, it, and, and again, that was that was out of something that I had read about. That um, you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of early converts, especially to Catholicism, were criminals. They were actually converting to Catholicism to escape the Chinese legal system right and and part of the way they were able to do that was through the the, the lack of language skills on the part of the the, the Catholic missionaries because there was this language barrier often the Catholic missionaries didn't understand the nuances of the the life situations of the conference, so they were able to get away with stuff uh, and that ended up creating a lot of animosity among the chinese
1: right and. <clears throat> No, I, and I, I thought he was just a fascinating character, and I, I do a lot of research on missionaries in Korea, and he just felt to me like so many of the French missionaries that were there. Um, and I think that, that makes a good segue into Volume 2, perhaps. Um, so here we have the saints, right? And um, how does, you said Father Bay becomes more sympathetic there. What, what happens with Father Bay?
0: Well, I, I wanted to show that his, his motivations were... Uh I wanted to show his motivations. I wanted to show that his motivations weren't necessarily from a bad place, that he actually, you know, he, he came to China for, with good intentions. Um, I also wanted to show that he had a character arc, you know, that in the end he comes to a deeper understanding of his own faith, in, of humanity in general, uh, than he had at the beginning.
1: Right. Right. No, that makes sense. And that... Um... He comes to that realization through his, I think, um, a lot of times through his relationship to Four Girl, uh, who's, I guess, the protagonist of Saints. So could you tell us a little about Four Girl?
0: So Four Girl, as I said, is fictional, but she is based on somebody that I know. She's based on one of my relatives. I have a relative that converted to Catholicism as an adult. And um, like four girls, she had a grandfather who hated her. So my relative was born on a bad luck day according to the traditional Chinese calendar, uh, and because of that, her grandfather just never liked her. My relative also had a, uh, a younger sister who was born on a good luck day, and their grandfather loved the younger sister. So whenever the grandfather had treats, the younger sister would get them, and my, my relative just would not. Right? So. Um, so as an adult, she converts herself, but she never connects these two things together. Like when you talk to her about her conversion experience, she never mentions how she grew up. The, 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 the stories are just unconnected in her mind. But you know, because I know her, I feel like the connection is really obvious. She wasn't able to find a place for herself in the culture that she grew up in. She wasn't able to find a reflection of herself in the stories of the culture. So she began to look to the stories of this other culture, right? Uh, And and that was the dynamic that I wanted to play with within 4Girl. I wanted her to be somebody who had a hard time fitting in in the culture that she was born into. So she she goes and and looks to another culture for her own place. In in, in my reading too, it seemed like that was true of a lot of early Chinese Christian converts. They, they, uh, you know, some of them converted for practical reasons, but a lot of them converted because they were looking for a place for themselves and, and the sworn religion, the sworn community provided a place for them.
1: Right, yeah, she gets a new name, right? Um, could you tell our yeah. listeners, what's the significance of being named Four Girl?
0: Well, four, uh, in, uh, you know, in, in traditional Chinese culture, four is not uh, a great number. You know, we, we have lucky numbers and unlucky numbers, nine is a lucky number, and, and four is not. Four is not a lucky number because the way you see it sounds like death. Right, born and Um So uh, this was this was a, a you know this this happened from time to time in in China where a girl would be born and it just wouldn't be even a proper name. So so they'd be called by the reporter. I read somewhere that I think um, Mao's first wife had a name like that, had a name that was just a number, but um, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if the motivation behind that naming convention is the same as I have in the book, but within the book, that, you know, being named after her birth order was sort of a, a sign of disrespect to to
1: four-girl herself. Right.
0: Like, it's a sign that she just doesn't have a place, a proper place in the family.
1: Right, right. So, and that's that's really well done. I think in the in the <clears throat> graphic novel showing how she she doesn't have this place and she desperately wants her grandfather's approval, and that then leads to her to meet a raccoon.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that leads her to meet a raccoon. Yeah. So I, wonder if you... I you know, in terms of why I chose a raccoon, I think I just liked I just like raccoons. I wanted to draw a raccoon. <laughs> I don't know if I had a different reason than that.
1: No, it was great. Um, so, what, but this is a special raccoon, right? What's special about it?
0: Well, the raccoon sort of embodies the temptation for her. You know, a, a, a temptation to be hard, a temptation to um, to, to fight against uh, all, all the injustices that she has in her life. Right. So okay. To fight against them in a certain way. Yeah. To fight against them in a certain way.
1: Yeah, it's really strange because this is a, a talking raccoon. Right, and she how did it, she sees it as a demon? Right.
0: Yeah, she kind of sees it. She kind of sees that the, 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 the Rakun encourages her to become a devil. Right. Um, her her grandfather calls her a devil, and the Rakun encourages her to actually embody that best she can.
1: Right. So, how does she then go from being a, a wannabe devil to being a Christian?
0: Well, I mean, in, for, a, for a Chinese at the turn of the century, that was not that big of a leap, because they called the Christians devils. So um, so Christianity, in, in a lot of ways, embodied everything that was evil, you know? Uh, so, so ultimately, if she wants to be a devil, the best way for her to do it in her setting was to convert to the sworn faith, to turn her back on her family, to turn her back on her culture, and, and embrace the uh the religion of the invader
1: right yeah i love this because then she goes in uh well i guess uh, that okay so that being said so she comes into contact then with through christianity with this guy dr wan or is it dr Won? i dr wan
0: yeah dr wan
1: okay dr wan uh, so i i don't i my main language second language is korean so i always that's why i got your name somewhat right <laughs> <laughs> because in korean it would just be yeah. But the, um, so Dr., and I want to make him Won, it, should, it would be Won in Korean. Um, Dr. Won, who's he?
0: Yeah, he, he's actually based on a historical figure. So I mentioned earlier that John Paul II canonized a group of, of Chinese Catholic saints. And, um, and and one of the saints that he canonized is now known as St. Mark of China. St. Mark, uh, like Dr. Won, was an acupuncturist, he was a lifelong Catholic, he was born into a Catholic family, um, and he was known for seeing poor people for free. Like, he would treat poor people for free, just like Dr. Juan does in the book. Uh, and, um, and now for St. Mark, when he was in his 40s, he developed really bad stomach issues, and he ended up treating himself with opium. After that, his stomach issues went away, but he became addicted to opium, and it was an addiction that he struggled with for the rest of his life. But so he lived thirty more years, um, all the way through. And he kept trying to to kick this addiction, and he just couldn't. You know, they, uh, they, they, they had a very different understanding of addiction back then than, than we do today. So his parish priest actually excluded him from communion. Oh wow! Uh, and, and for Catholic, that's like a, that's a big deal, right? That's like being excluded from your communion being excluded from her family and that's living in in a sense that's living in public shame and he did that for thirty years. Uh at the very end of his life, um the Vox Rebellion happened. He was killed along with his entire family during the Vox Rebellion. Uh and um, and on the day of his death he was still addicted to Obi. He never got over that happened. He never got over that addiction. A hundred years after his death, the the Catholic Church canonizes him and um, and as far as I know, he's the only addict saint that the Catholic Church has. Oh wow! But I think his life points to this dynamic that even if you you know even if you're struggling with something, and even if you never get over what you struggle with, your life is still worthwhile. You right? Know, you, you can still live uh, a, a saintly life. Uh, so I, I wanted to. You know, I, I I wanted to include him in my book, and in the end, I decided to change the name because I felt like I had deviated too much from his life story. Right. Uh, so, you know, I don't show any of his kids or his grandkids, and, uh, and, and and I felt like I couldn't keep his name because I deviated too much. But, right. But Dr. One is very much based on St. Mark of China.
1: And so how does he then come into contact with 4Girl?
0: Well, he comes into contact with 4Girl because... Um, like early on, four girl uh, develops a devil face, so she figures out a way of configuring her own face so that she looks really monstrous. And her her mother's really worried about it, so she takes four girl to go see an acupuncturist to go see Doctor Juan. Um, and and during that visit, four girl learns that he's actually Christian because he has a crucifix hanging in his office. Later, when she gets the idea that the best way for her to become a devil is to converse this one faith. She remembers that crucifixion and goes back to, to see Dr. Juan to, to figure out how to complete her devil training of becoming a Christian.
1: Right? Now, I, 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 I had to say, I thought that was just so funny, um, that this idea was that she wants to become a Christian so she can be a good devil. Um, I, mean, I, I thought that was great, and my students really enjoyed that too. Can you tell us, how did you come up with that idea?
0: Well, it was just—I just felt like it was it was in the source material, you know. It was—I guess it was a connection between the stories I heard from my relatives and the source material, you know. In the source material, the the the, the Christians are just always referred to as, as devils and demons, and seen as these embodiments of evil.
1: Right. No, I thought that was was very very effective. And then she just um, she tells Doctor Wan. Of course, she wants to become a Christian. Um, is she then really into the faith? I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, she tells Doctor Wan she wants to become a Christian. He's so excited. Um, what keeps her coming back to learn more about Christianity?
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I think I think it's true for a, a lot of people who. Um, end up becoming religious as adults, you know, including me. I, I think um, I think a lot of us, when we are first introduced to faith, when we, when we first learn about it, we may not have the purest motive. It's, all, it's not always like, oh, I want to find the meaning of life, so therefore I'm going to go to church or I'm going to go to the Bible study. Often it's, oh, this church, they give me free pizza, so I'm going to go. <laughs> or there's this cute girl in the Bible study, I'm going to go. And, and that was true for me, too, right? That was true for me. I, I, I always, when I was growing up, you know, part of the reason I went to Sunday school was because my parents made me, and the other part was because there were two girls in the class. So, uh, <laughs> so for a poor girl, it's the same thing. You know, she, she doesn't necessarily have a deep understanding of uh, of her faith, you know, when she converts. Uh, she doesn't necessarily have the purest of motives to, to uh, in, in her conversion. Um, but ultimately she still finds what she wants through, through her faith and through her involvement in this church community.
1: She finds a place for herself. Right, right. And I, I just love it. Yeah, for her, it's it's gluttony, right? She wants those cookies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she wants
0: the cookies. She
1: wants cookies, <laughs>
0: exactly. So like, how I want to keep going when I was a kid. Well,
1: this is, again, this is what I really like about this, because I, I teach um, some of the, I do a lot on history of religion when I'm teaching, and I, I want, I think students sometimes either have and it's similar to what you were saying about how missionaries were seeing China, either looking down on something or holding up too highly. And I like yeah. that you got that in with this um, with her conversion. Is it's it doesn't start off really for the best of reasons, um, though she does later on kind of own it herself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's true for me. I feel like that's true for me. I feel like that's true for a lot of us, right? Like, a, a lot of us who um, are are are. Continue to be part of these when we more adults. Um, I, I think a, a, for a, for a lot of us, we can see that at the beginning, it just it wasn't like we were we had these pure motives, uh, and and ultimately things would still turn out okay.
1: Right, and I thought especially on on pages sixty four and sixty five of your book. Um, where you have this conversation between her and Father Bay, where she confesses that she did this really terrible thing. I won't tell the readers or listeners what it is. Uh, you have to buy and read the book to know. But she confesses that she's done this really terrible thing, and um, she wants to know if that will be forgiven through baptism. And Father Bay um, says it will be. And I just wanted to note because I thought this was just really effective um, in the in terms of the art, how her facial expression changes and how she skips away and is very happy about this. Um, And uh, I just wanted to mark that as something I thought was really an effective scene. Well, thanks. That, that
0: also... Um, that, that was also... like that, that wasn't something I made. That was something I stole from somebody else, from, from a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine who um, uh, eventually converted to uh, evangelical Protestantism. When he was in high school, he had this kid in his class who just picked on him constantly. Uh, and... um and he, he actually hoped in his heart for something bad to happen to that kid, and eventually something did. Oh, no. That really happened to that kid, and he just believed with that guilt for a long time. Uh, and, and, and it was a part of his... Um, you know, it was, it was a part of his faith journey. That, that piece was part of his safe journey. So I, I I thought that that was a really interesting dynamic that I wanted to play with within fiction.
1: Right. Well, no, it came through very, very strongly. So one thing I thought was... Was also, um, I do a lot with um, studying Korean martyrs. And a name that always <coughs> comes up is um, Bibiana. Um, the Koreans, I don't, in, in, in your book, it's Vibiana with a V, but Koreans don't have a V, so it's Bibiana. Um, and uh, that becomes Four Girls' new name. So I'm just curious, is there a reason why you chose that particular name for the saint?
0: Well, I chose I chose it because the root of it is life. Right, Viv it, is life. So okay. Like the poor girl. The root of the four is death. The root oh. of her new name should be life. Okay. Uh, but but you know after after I chose that name after I chose that name and, and, and there is a, there is a historical Saint of within the Catholic Church. the Roman martyr from the, from the early centuries. But um, but after I chose that name, I realized that. Saint Viviana is actually the patron saint of Los Angeles. Not that oh. that's connected with the story in any way,
1: but I just thought that was kind of cool. Oh, that, is, <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah, she keeps coming up in. Um, I think t- maybe two of the Korean martyrs um, that are saints are Vivianas, at least two, and they, they tend to be perpetual virgins that then got got killed. Okay, okay. So well, that's that's stupid. <laughs> I, that, that's why that came up. But I thought that was really um, interesting. Now, the, the saint, though, that makes, that's the most important in a sense in this work is a different saint, uh, Saint Joan of Arc.
0: Yeah, Saint Joan of Arc, uh, I've always liked Saint Joan of Arc. I think a lot of us do, just because she's such an interesting character and such an embodiment of contradiction. What, what I found myself doing when I was researching the Box Rebellion is uh, I just I, I kept feeling like the Boxers were like Joan of Arc, or Joan of Arc was like were, was like the boxers. You know, here they're they're both teenagers, they're both um, they're both powerless. They come from the, the lower rungs of their societies. They're both really angry about uh, a foreign presence within their homeland, uh, and and then they both empower themselves with these spiritual beliefs that, as, as moderns, we would find kind of weird. So, in, in a lot of ways, I thought, you know. The, the boxer were like Chinese Joan of Arc, or, or Joan of Arc was like a French boxer, and um, I thought I could use that dynamic to create some tension within Viviana's life. You know, so um, early on, I have Viviana and I have a vision of Joan of Arc. You know, and at the end, I wanted there to be this question: What does it mean for her to pattern herself after Joan of Arc? Does it mean that she should become Catholic like Joan of Arc was? You know, or does it mean that she should defend her, her culture against this invading force, like Jotobar did? like right. the boxers are
1: doing. Right, and it, yeah, that came through really well, and I just, I, I thought that was very powerful. And I would love to ask more about it, but I want to shy away, because I want her like I said, I want our listeners to buy and read uh, to see what happens. Because it is really, really a uh, well-done story in terms of that question, what does it mean to be a saint? Uh, maybe a question, though, I can ask that won't be too much of a spoiler, though, is that Guan Yin comes back in, uh, in this story. How, how so?
0: Yeah, well, I, year, years ago, years ago, I, I went to the Asian uh, Art Museum in San Francisco, and I saw this painting of Guan Yin, of the Chinese goddess of compassion. Uh, it was an ancient, ancient painting, centuries and centuries old, uh, and it showed her in the middle of the painting surrounded by this halo of hands. Within each hand was this eye. Uh, right. Um, in, in, in the inscription next to the painting, it said that these hands with eyes in it were a symbol of compassion. The, the eyes represented that Guang Ying was always looking for suffering, and the hands represented that she was always trying to reach out. To relieve that suffering. The, the, uh, you know, as uh, as uh, as somebody who grew up in the Catholic Church and somebody who's still a to Catholic, those eyes and hands really looked like crucified hands to me. You know, the ah. and, and within within like a, within Chinese medicine, uh, the eyes are considered holes, like the and the Chinese talk about how you have seven holes in your head. You have your two eyes, your two nostrils, your mouth, and your two ears. So the eyes are holes. So the eyes and hands, holes and hands, it just felt like there was something maybe universal within that symbolism. And, and eyes and hands, you, know, you, you find it in in, in, um, in certain um, types of uh, Jewish mysticism. You find it in cer- certain uh, types of, of uh, Islamic mysticism. mysticism. It just seems like there's something, there's something very universal about that symbolism. So I want to play
1: with that within the book. Well, I think, and it was really again, I, I don't want to be a spoiler, but artistically, I thought it was really interesting how you make this connection between the eyes of Guanyin and the um, the wounds on Jesus' hands, like you you just mentioned. I think that's really well done, and it's really a striking part. Which, and I, I think those are the pages where you answer this question: What does it mean to be a saint? And I, I don't want to to spoil that for people. The answer. Um, but I thought it was really, really well done. Well, thank you, thank you. One thing, if I could add, um, one thing, if I could, I wanted to share something from my class uh, to see if I could get your reaction. Um, the the class I taught was called Popular Culture in East Asia, and um, we read um, a uh, couple. We read several different manga. Uh, we read Akira, and we read um, Azumanga Dayo um Ak- Ak- akira is a Japanese action manga uh-huh. Azumanga Daioh is a high school drama it's it's cute it's 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 amazing it's a high school where there's no conflict um, okay. and it's 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 just a very cute story and what was interesting was um and are you familiar with either of these two titles
0: i uh, i I watched the akira movie I've read a few of the Akira volumes, but i haven't read anything from the other.
1: Okay. Well, one thing that was really striking was we, were, we read your book last in, in my class, and the students liked uh, it the most of the, of the three graphic novels. They liked this one the best. And one thing that struck me was that when they described why they liked it, one thing they said was that we could understand it much better. Um, it uh, just made, Narratively, it just made more sense to them. Than, than the others, so that to me on one side that seemed to me then it was okay. Well, this is all my all my students except for or actually three of my all my students were from the west except was except for one who was um, originally from India, but they all were very con- comfortable. I think with more of a I guess you could say a Western style narrative. At the same time, though, it struck me that in your book these are where the characters look the most Asian. Right, Akira doesn't. It does. They, no one looks particularly Asian.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a stylistic thing that, that was developed in China. Though the explanation, I'm sorry, in, in Japan. Um, the explanation I've heard is that, you know, the the most, probably, arguably, the most influential manga artist, the influential manga cartoonist is a guy named Osamu Tisuka, right. who is most well known as the, the creator of Astral Boy. And um, he was a huge Disney fan, so he thought that the appeal of Disney characters rested... In their eyes, that they had such big, expressive eyes. So he started doing that with his own characters. That's why Astro Boy has these giant eyes. And, and, and the, the artist that he influenced, the artist that came with the generations after him, kind of took that idea and ran with it. And, and you end up getting, you know, there's some Japanese cartoons where the the characters' eyes are like bigger than their heads. You know, right? They, yes, yes. take up like two thirds of their head. <laughs> but but it's a it's, it's sort of a stylistic thing. and, and what I've read. From my understanding is that you know um, even though the pieces are incredibly stylized and, and cartoonified, um, those characters are still Japanese. Oh right, like, right. you didn't see the woman with her blonde hair is still because it's still seen as Japanese.
1: Right, right. I just thought that was I don't know there was just something that kind of struck me as very interesting about that was that um, but yeah, thank you for your explanation. That makes a lot of sense. So um, we've taken up a lot of your time. So I'd like to ask you, then, our, our traditional last um, question on New Books Network. What are you working on now?
0: Well, I've got a couple of projects coming up. Number one is I work on uh, comics for the Avatar The Last Airbender uh, series. Avatar The Last Airbender was a cartoon that showed on Nickelodeon from 2005 to 2008. Uh, Nickelodeon licensed the property to Dark Horse Comics, who is... Continuing the, the adventures in, in comic book form. I've been working with them for uh, two, three years now. And, and we have another three volumes coming out in 2015. The second project that I'm working on is called Secret Coders. I'm really excited about this. It's, uh, I'm, I'm working on it with a really talented cartoonist named Mike Holmes. I'm doing the writing and he's doing the art. Uh, and this is my first explicitly educational comic. Ooh. It's all about computer coding. I was a computer science major. I taught computer science for over a decade, so this is kind of the melding of my two worlds. I'm taking my my teacherliness and my cartooning and, and putting them together. We're telling the story of a group of uh, a group of junior high students who find a secret school. So it's kind of like Harry Potter in that sense. You know, there's a secret school, but the secret school, instead of teaching magic, teaches computer coding. And we're hoping, as, as, you know, as our protagonists, we'll learn to become coders that our readers will, too.
1: Oh, that sounds really cool.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm really excited about it. And Mike Mike is a joy to work with. His art is just has this energy that just leaps off the page.
1: Well, thank you again for taking the time um, to talk to us today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, Frank. This was, this was great.
1: Thank you very much uh, for listening to this interview of the Christian Studies channel of the New Books Network. Uh, Have a great day and hope to hear from you again.